10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right. Hello, Shakriya. Can you hear me now? Hello? Hello. Hi. Finally, I can hear you. That is great. All right. So, I'm like sorry, I was just... No problem. No problem. I think um, th these things keep happening and this is not the first time, so don't worry about it at all. Now, uh, welcome back to the show again, Shukriya. I'm sorry, but you constantly seem to be having these issues. Hopefully, you are still there. I was just telling our uh, yeah. I was just telling our guests. Um, the last time we were in conversation, we were having a good chat, and abruptly, um, it it had to be um, abandoned because of technical issues. So, for those of us who did not manage to um, get an insight into our conversation last week or the week before. Um, thank you for joining us. This is definitely a very, very um, interesting conversation that I, I was very, very passionate about carrying on um, into another week. So thank you so much for making time again for us, Shakriya. No problem. Um, yeah, sorry about last time and again earlier. <laughs> No worries, no worries. But before I speak to you, Shukri, I just want to tell you that uh, from all of the UK, it is half-term holiday. So the teachers are definitely at their happiest moods, hopefully, this week, because they get to spend a very well-deserved break doing whatever it is that they fancy. So to all of the teachers out there, congratulations. We definitely have earned it. We definitely deserve it. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, for those of us who are not in the UK, like myself, those of us who are in the Middle East, our half-time holiday has just about come to an end. So if you are one of them, if you have had just had your half-time holiday and are looking forward to going into school on a Sunday, because um, here in the Middle East, half-term, um, sorry, the weekend is on a Friday and Saturday and you go back into work on a Sunday. So if you've just completed your half-term holiday, do tell us, um, um, do type in a, and let us know what it is that you have been up to, if you've really managed to get a break, or if you're one of those people who like to keep busy and occupied and plan ahead for the week. And for those of you who are on holiday, please do share with us what is it, what is it that you plan to do during this well-deserved break. So, Shukriya, for those of us who were not here last week, Shukriya is a student and more importantly, she is also someone who started a very interesting venture, and it's called UniArc. So, Shukriya, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, so, I'm um, Shukriya, and I came to the UK from Afghanistan about 10 years ago. And I started school here at the age of 14. Uh, from year 9, I managed to get on with my GCSEs and A-levels and then stay um, one year out of education due to some um, issues with my student finance and the fact that I couldn't go to university because of that. Uh, and then, yeah, I managed to go to university and I have just completed my master's degree in human rights and politics. 
Right. Shukriya, that you've been very, very modest. You have not mentioned the fact that you happen to be a student at the London School of Economics. Um, yes, I've just finished uh, from there, but um, I don't know my grades yet, so haven't fully graduated yet. So, um, yeah, I am. But what's, what's that been like? Um, well, it's been great, to say the least, despite all the uh, you know difficulties around COVID and having to study from home. I was in, uh, I had some in-person lessons just the first term and then we went into second and third lockdown, I believe it was. And yeah, um, despite those uh, difficulties, I would say I've had great um, time at LSE. Perfect. Now, Shikriya, since we are on a half-term holiday, do you have any memories of the kinds of things that you did when you were on half-term? Um, I I suppose we didn't really have half term, but we did have, you know, longer holidays, especially in the winter. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we would have three months off from school in the winter because of the difficulties of traveling, especially in heavy snow. Um, right. But as far as I can remember, we, I, I mean, I couldn't do much there, but uh, we would as kids go, um, uh, snowball fight and do those sorts of things as any other children would do. Lovely, it sounds quite interesting. So these three months, which uh, months of the year would that be? Uh, that would be in the winter, so I'm not sure 100% in what month in, in terms of the Afghan calendar, but uh, definitely around uh, November, December and January, no sorry, I think sometime in the new year basically in, in here all right. yeah all right well, that sounds cool and three months that's a long time it's definitely apart from yeah yeah so what, what kinds of activities would you be engaged in on the mountains of Afghanistan uh in the mountains we didn't really have much there so we would really be mostly indoors trying you know doing just uh the usual things at home helping with uh you know home uh, house chores and just really just perhaps doing some Islamic, uh, you know, learning as well at home, mostly in the mosque nearby. But Interesting. Other, yeah. Interesting. Um, do, is, that, is that also uh, the time when you get to um, practice some of your um, more artistic, more cultural interests like poetry? Uh, oh, yeah, that's actually a very <laughs> good question. Sorry. Uh, yeah, and that's a, actually a good reminder for myself. So in the winter, we have something called Shabi Alda, which is a celebration of the longest night of uh, the year. So that is usually mm -hmm. winter. And that is mostly spent eating, you know, lots of fruits and dried fruits, especially because of the fruits that we have dried over the summer. For winter, we keep it. And yeah, just reciting poems. And um, yeah, that's how the night is spent. Okay. Now, so, um, Shukriya, when I was looking at um, your Twitter page, one of the first things that really struck me was the picture that you had shared. And this was a picture where you have a few um, schoolgirls standing in front of a board with a message. And just below the picture, you've translated it because it was written in Arabic. Um, and it reads, those who go to school become humans and light in humanity's eyes. And that image was quite moving. 
Can you tell us a bit more about that, if you remember? Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me just correct you there. It's not actually written in Arabic. It's in Farsi, which is the language that most Afghans speak. And um, oh. yeah, yeah, it's basically, um, it just pretty much reads as uh, what you just um, quoted there. And it is a photo taken in my mom's local village. So I um, occasionally did go to my mom's village and stay there with her family. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I can't really remember the exact moment that photo was taken, but I'm really mm -hmm. glad that it has. The timing was perfect. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much just sums up with the sort of mantra I, I kind of grew up with, really. And yeah, so that's that. Right. And you, you, you mentioned that it's Farsi. How different is it from Arabic? I might be being completely ignorant here, but do you want to enlighten uh, us? So we do have the same alphabets, um, mm. but it is completely different in terms of how we form sentences, words, although we do share some words as well. Um, okay. Our, yeah, so it's entirely different in terms of if you, it's not like something Hindi and Urdu, for example, you understand right. each other, the writing is different. But in this case, right. it's completely different, yeah. Right. So in Afghanistan, what, what language was your primary school in? What languages did you learn? Uh, well, our primary one that we were taught all subjects uh, were in Farsi, but we were taught some Pashto as well, as that is the second mm -hmm. language uh, in Afghanistan as well. Uh, but right. some schools, if they had, uh, the, you know, if they had the time and the teachers to do it, they would also teach English as well as obviously mm -hmm. Arabic a little bit to help with uh, learning the Quran. Okay. And have you had a chance to remain in touch with your childhood friends back in Afghanistan? Uh, some of them, yes. Uh, mostly because they are family friends, because we used to attend the same one as our local village. So um, right. they, they are family friends and we do know them. But in terms of staying in close contact with them, in terms of, you know, really... Uh, regularly checking up on them, calling only a few. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, they are family friends that I know um, yeah, and hear about. Brilliant. And you mentioned that you arrived here about 10 years ago. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, 16th of October, I believe we arrived in the UK in 2011. So yeah, just wow. last week. You've just, um, you've just passed an anniversary. Yes. <laughs> How does it feel, Shakriya? Uh, Ten years in Honestly, it feels like a long time just because uh, 10 years, you know, equal to a decade and it sounds like a long time, but it just hasn't felt that long at all. But looking back, right. I, I have within this period um, achieved so much that I'm so grateful for. So in a way, Absolutely. it does make sense that it is a long time, but at the same time, it doesn't feel that way. Right. So when you arrived in the UK, you were around 13 or 14 years old. So you've just about started secondary school, is it? Yeah. So I, I joined uh, two, three days before Christmas holidays began. So mm -hmm. um, in midway, pretty much through year nine. Yeah. Okay. And what was your first impression of the UK school? 
Uh, first, that it was huge. We had different right. apartments, so many different buildings. And the other was um, having to go to our teachers um, for different lessons, whereas back mm-hmm. home we would have just one classroom and the teachers mm-hmm. would come to us to teach their subject. But here uh-huh. that was completely different. We had to go to the teachers and that would mean like, you know, going from, let's say, the art department in one corner of the school to the English on the third, fourth floor of this tall building. Right. So it was quite um, something that I was confused about. And yeah, that's something I... I So the movement. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's a very... um, It's it's a feature that... um, Asian schools tend to, you know, we tend to keep the children in the same place and the teachers are the ones that keep moving around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I completely share that. Sabia says lots of relaxation and also preparing for Ofsted. Okay. So this is in response to my question about um, what your plans are for the half term. So, yeah, that sounds exciting and scary at the same time. I can see that you've added a very um, a beautiful, a smiley face there, but that's. To, to be very honest, Sabia, that sounds more scary than relaxed. I mean, that sounds like the worst way to um, begin your holiday. Um, anticipation of something so serious. Anyway, I wish you good luck with that, Sabia. Thank you for sharing that. Right, coming back to you, um, Shakriya. You've made a very interesting transition. You completed primary school in Afghanistan and arrived for secondary school in the UK. I'm a primary teacher, and one of the things that I often get asked is, how different is primary from secondary? You are coming from a place that's very, very different, and you came to a place that is is completely new in terms of language, culture. How did you you survive that initial shock? Mm, That's a very good question, actually. I... I'm not sure how much the primary school and secondary school compares from Afghanistan to here, but in in there, I actually was halfway through year seven. Mm -hmm. So uh, coming here and, you know, being put in a class because of my age, um, you know, felt like I have skipped a year and a half, um, Mm -hmm. although I have had disrupted education uh, before that anyway. So I yeah, it just felt like uh, I don't know. It, firstly, I couldn't speak the language either, so that made it worse. Uh, and the comparison, I would say, I don't know if I can even make the comparison. It was completely different, completely different environment, different people from all across the world. I had only gone to a school with my own local village, everyone who I knew, the teachers, my classmates, everyone. So coming here mm. just felt extremely just I don't know I couldn't I couldn't get my head around it It took a long time right and I'm sure that that initial Christmas holiday didn't really feel like a holiday did it no not at all I I had two three days in school before the uh, Christmas break so Mm -hmm. I barely had no any idea what the school was really you know how it was what subjects I was doing so it mm. felt like I had a lot to prep for in the holidays and I tried, but there wasn't really to actually help me either. So it's just all uh, mm. on my own, yeah. 
Right, I've, I've noticed that a couple of teachers um, online, because um, teachers like to have a good social network, and Twitter is really, really helpful in that way. Um, one of the questions that I saw a couple of weeks ago was, how do we help students coming in from Afghanistan? Because obviously now there's a lot more people in the UK and in many of the other countries, and um, teachers are faced with this question, how can we help? So to give people in, um, teachers especially, a bit of perspective, can you tell us what a typical school in Afghanistan was like? Because that would probably help us know what the child's previous experience was like and then adjust expectations, adjust everything else that we do. So do you have any memories of what a typical school day was like in Afghanistan? To be honest, if I was to give you, uh, I mean, my experience of uh, school in Afghanistan has been different because of the places, different schools I've been to. For example, in my local village, um, which is, you know, very much detached from the cities, it's very different to if uh, to a school in the city. So I've mm -hmm. been to both and I've had experience of both. Um, right. Mostly I would say the people who the, have been evacuated uh, and have come to the UK, um, the refugees, um, they probably are from the cities. So going mm -hmm. with uh, a, like one day in the school in Afghanistan, I'd say the hours, school hours are a lot shorter. So maximum four hours, I would say. Wow. And, yeah, I don't know how those hours are divided amongst different subjects now, but right. it was definitely very much shorter than it is here. And that's actually another thing I, I was going to mention, um, is that we spent about 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour in here on one subject. Right. Whereas there we would literally have about probably 30 35 depending on how the school organizes that but yeah it's definitely much shorter and you have bare minimum uh, in terms of everything really no lap no computers unless you go to a private school maybe uh, they might have those facilities so you really just uh, carry books and notebooks and you don't leave anything in school you always carry them with you whereas here right. you can leave books and uh, your even your notebooks here so whenever here when I used to start at school my parents would ask me why do you have no books with you and uh, mm -hmm. that's because the teachers would say to leave them there unless you have homeworks to do at home but otherwise yeah back home uh, in typical day I would say it's just really short um, in the in break time you only have snacks so nothing no food so you either have a school before lunch or after lunch, so in the morning or in the afternoon. So there is no such thing as lunch break. Um, right. So, yeah, especially providing food in school, that's not really a thing there. So, yeah, it's completely different. I don't know how the teachers could adjust that, but it's definitely something that comes along with the language. You can say that, but, but it's really useful to know because then we, we have an idea, we have an insight into... Um, what the child's previous experience was like. So it's not a complete shock, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned that the days are only three or four hours long. As a teacher, that sounds absolutely amazing to me. Mm -hmm. I would love to just come in for three or four hours. But can you tell us what the what, what the teaching style was? Like, did you, did you have a lot of discussions? Was it the teacher explaining and the students just write? 
Do you remember? Yeah, unfortunately, I wouldn't say in terms of the quality of teaching, um, it's not that great because a lot of the things you are taught is mostly about knowing rather than really reasoning and critical thinking. Um, right. That usually comes in much later on in the in your you know education. So perhaps maybe at university level, but down below that, I don't think it's very much promoted or done in schools or practiced at all. So it's more mm. like mostly about what do you know? What are you know? For example, in a geography lesson, you are taught about I mean the capital state uh, city of a country how many popular how much the population i don't know what are the big cities named them and what is right so it's more knowledge oriented and less application yeah. and thinking yeah and, and that's just pretty much across all the um subjects i'd say so not so much discussion although we would mm -hmm. have discussion in terms of um you know as an extracurricular thing rather than it being something that's you know done in every subject almost so yeah I would say it's not that great okay uh, what about content um, you mean yeah so if, so if, if for example if I if I if I were a maths teacher um, would you have the opportunity to ask questions if you're not sure of something would the teacher help you work through them or are you just told that it's right or wrong? Do you get an opportunity um, to go back and fix things? Uh, yeah, you, you do get opportunities to ask questions, although the sh timing is so short that you the teacher only has a, you know, a space for a couple of questions. So if mm -hmm. you ask uh, questions that are naive, let's say, or that you should really know about, or are easy questions, then I, I suppose it's really kind of, you keep it to yourself. And right. yeah, I would say, I mean, you can speak to the teachers afterwards, but it really depends. Um, if you are someone that's really struggling, I don't think that that space within that school is really a place for you to kind of um, right. go and ask your own questions, really. And what would happen if I were a really naughty child? What if I just kept talking and maybe fiddling with my stuff and not paying pay any attention to the teacher? Oh, um, you would be given a couple of warnings uh, until mm -hmm. you um, until you're pretty much suspended and sent out. But uh, final suspension would have to go through the uh, you know head teacher and also the parents. But usually, um, punishment is also one part of it. It really depends which part of the what kind of school you went to. Some schools are really strict, and um, you know real really really physical punishment is still on the table if they really have to resort to that right all right well that was quite a serious conversation on a lighter note um when you arrived what did you think how did it was it difficult for you to form friends what did you think of the whole pastoral setup in the uk um uh unfortunately it was definitely not easy and i did really find it difficult to make friends mostly because here I saw that everyone had their own kind of groups of friends nobody was mm -hmm. really uh, mixing well uh, nobody was each other's friend although that's something I was definitely not used to uh, back in Afghanistan everyone is pretty much friends together in school 
you don't really have mm-hmm. groups you know that are popular the other that's you know all the typical names that you have for groups right so um yeah it was definitely definitely not easy um but that came with the language barrier so i couldn't really communicate if anyone was to make friends with me they would have a difficult time talking to me uh, and right. also, so it really was uh difficult but uh, towards a levels it got much better right so initially how did you get over the language barrier i honestly just attended classes and pretended that i was a part of the class and that i was understanding it it really just had to come with time and it was just really just attending really being there physically even though i couldn't communicate i would just copy whatever the teacher wrote on the board the powerpoint that was shared and um sometimes i would miss out on the homework because i just simply couldn't understand it um right. so I, i i don't think i actually had any you know strategy to get over it and how i managed mm-hmm. to talk to others you just gained the time and you used your listening skills yeah i had to listen a lot i had to um and yeah for some reason they didn't even give me any english uh lessons in school like the el department they later on became yeah. a much bigger yeah that's what, that's what i was going to come to um so do, do you think that was necessary or do you think it's even necessary for a student coming in fresh without any language do you think it's easier for them if it's if they're just left to their own devices and just let left to feel um a sense of belonging and then the language will pick up or do you think providing that additional support to someone who's just been uprooted from their home and put in a completely alien world is really the way to go what's what's your take on that i would say maybe having them both as as a way right. to um not having one or the other but actually using that el department having english lessons whenever the student really wants it for example but leaving be you know leaving them on their own and them having to kind of uh, you know navigate through that and actually learn and give it time uh that also okay. works but again children are different they learn differently in my case luckily it worked but uh, there are lots of others who would prefer to have some sort of uh, you know minimal conversational english at least mm. yeah uh, so yeah it really depends i it has to be kind of looked at individually if that makes sense although that's a lot of work absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. um how much support did you receive from your teachers as a new foreign student i mean all the teachers were different in their approach uh i've had really really good few teachers that really went the extra mile beyond school you know to help me in everything i've done and uh some of the english lessons i've been to uh i have not been able to keep up with the reading uh the pace that they were reading at just everything really they would read lots of chapters in one go i couldn't do that and um the school especially actually had someone come in especially for me to sit m- with me in one of the lessons to really mm-hmm. kind of observe how I was doing and see if they could help me um i had that a couple of times but they mm-hmm. felt that, that there was no need to continue for some reason 
or maybe that right. uh, was sort of volunteering and she was kind of unavailable after that. So, um, yeah, I, I would say lots of teachers have gone the extra mile to help me in terms of, you know, allowing me to stay after school to catch up with the things I couldn't do, you know, one-to-one -one sort of mentoring whenever they could. But other teachers mm. just left me be. But again, that's, you know, right. how much yeah. the individual is willing to go, yeah. Right. It's, it's lovely to say that you did receive some amount of support. That's really, really good. It's a good feeling, especially as a teacher. Do you have any memories of your first lesson? Um, yeah. <laughs> so my first lesson was English, I believe. I'm not sure if it's language or literature, but I believe it was literature because we were reading um, Romeo and Juliet. So mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was weird because everyone was reading and um, I couldn't follow. And a lot of people were and I was just wondering, uh, okay, I'm trying to just get through one sentence, but people are turning pages and how do they read this fast? Anyways, but it made no sense to me because of the Shakespearean um, language. So I was wondering what is going yep. on and... You know, it took me a long time actually to understand what it was, and later on I understood that it was actually a play. And also, you were thrown in the deep end there, Shakriya. Yeah, the teacher. You were thrown into the deep end there because, yeah, even as teachers, sometimes we find it quite hard to understand Shakespeare's writing. So, to be exactly. a completely new kid in a classroom and to have to go through Shakespeare on your first day, your first lesson, that's that's yeah. gruesome. Yeah, the teacher, although I think I remember she might have mentioned that we are reading that, but again, just stating that we were reading Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet didn't explain anything to me. So even though she didn't mention it, I believe, you know, but I didn't understand it. So yeah, definitely it was not pleasant in terms of just being thrown there and not knowing what I'm doing or reading. Well, just listening to you there, um, Shakriya, from what you're telling me as, as, as a foreign child who just came in with absolute, pretty much no language skills and listening to you speak now, I mean, 10 years is not that long a time. So looking at the lengths that you've come, you've done amazingly well. So kudos to you for that. You've been extremely resilient. Uh, I suppose, what, yeah. <laughs> what, you're most welcome. What did you enjoy about school? I mean, I would say the extracurricular, although to begin with, I was never involved in any of those because I had a lot to catch up, just not doing mm -hmm. those. Um, so, yeah, later on when I became a lot more familiar with the school and the education system, I think uh, how much the schools are doing here is so much better than schools in Afghanistan, of course. There you just go to the class, come back out, never hear from your teachers again. Here, you know, you have lots of things to get involved with, not just sports, but everything else from, I don't know, drama competitions and poetry competitions of all sorts. Although we did have poetry competition, that probably wouldn't compare to here. Um, mm. but, um, yeah, the extracurricular, I think I really enjoyed those, especially me being involved in, you know, writing work 
uh, writing workshops and lunch times and after schools and then you know winning some competitions within school and also outside so i really did enjoy those apart from the main you know academic side of it you had a very famous uh, mentor and i think her name was Kate Flantry yes um so i've known her since literally year 10 so that's probably right. 2013 since then so right. yeah, Kate Clanchy, i have went to her she was a writer in residence in my school at the time and uh, mm -hmm. yeah i entered one of our poetry competitions in year 10 that's how we got introduced and yeah i started to go to her writing workshops very regularly every single week and yeah produced some poems there and that she went on to you know, enter us for competitions and yeah that's how my sort of writing journey began so how does that feel coming in from you know again going back to you know from it's, it sounds very much like a rags to riches story to me i mean they, what, what you've achieved and what you've done is no less than um, any great accomplishment that we talk about. So it's it's definitely um, a, a tribute to your your dedication and your resilience. So how 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 did that that one um, competition change your your confidence? How you felt about everything around you? Oh, it definitely was. I think a defining moment. If I don't know, my life would have been so different had I not been sort of not forced, I don't want to use that word, to enter this competition because uh, my tutor at the time, because this was a house competition, so we have different houses within the year group and each mm -hmm. house to kind of compete in competitions against each other. And yeah, so when you win, you win for the house. Um, so our, my tutor was really, really keen for everyone to give it a go, even though poetry mm -hmm. in the tutor group was not quite popular. So what I did at the time, I had still just been in, in the country just one year. And uh, what I did was write a poem in my own language, just a couple of lines, not even, a, you know, that long. So right. I Google Translate to translate it and just really submit it like that. Um, so what happened in the end was, you know, I won first place, which was really, really surprising. Um, mm -hmm. and that was definitely, definitely a defining moment in my life. And that's how I started to enjoy school because it felt like I was doing something and I was actually achieving something in school, not just physically making it to the school and coming back out as, you know, not feeling any yeah. better. So yeah, yeah definitely absolutely. been enjoying and I've, I'm still in contact with Kate. We are much closer and yeah. I'm really uh, lucky and grateful to have her in my life. That's absolutely wonderful to hear. Um, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's amazing. Um, sometimes um, we don't really pay a lot of attention to how one event or one comment or even one achievement, even a tiny achievement like that could, could influence a child and change their perspective on school, on teachers. So, yeah, that definitely brings that back to us. Um, does it often dawn on you that you are probably one in, not are probably, you are pretty much one in a million people who've had this amazing journey, especially as, as a female child 
you know, to be able to make it, to be able to make it to a, an establishment of such reputation to the London School of Economics. Oh, Does yeah. that yeah. add a certain amount of burden or responsibility to your shoulders? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, honestly, I am still sometimes thinking, you know, um, how on earth um, did I get here? And I am honestly yeah. really, really grateful. And um, I, yeah, having to, you know, complete my bachelor's and master's through a scholarship, I think that's been crazy. <laughs> but honestly, really lucky and grateful. And I do wish that, you know, this is not just an opportunity that was lucky for me, but I really do wish that this becomes, you know, just a basic right for everyone, especially for all the women and girls. So yeah, I really, I do feel that I have responsibility to, um, the least I can do is advocate for the rights of women and girls and minorities in Afghanistan who are kind of being shut down from everything um, that they've achieved for in the last 20 years, they've worked hard for in the last 20 years. So yeah, I really do feel that burden at least. Um, and I do use any everything in my power and uh, capacity to to kind of work towards that. Hmm. But um, Shikriya, you're definitely on the right tracks in your goals because um, a little later in the show, we will come to some of your efforts and the, the amazing things that you've been doing. Uh, but before that, what kept you going? Like at, at this point where you've, you've just been moved, you've been removed from your home, you've made it to a completely different place, new people, new culture, new language, new school, new lifestyle. At what point did you feel, I mean, at, at any point, do you ever feel like this is enough or I just want to give up? Like what, what kept you going? What did you actually say to yourself? Yeah, so I might have, yeah, actually I did get to this story last time in the show. It was my dad who has made a very, very difficult journey to the UK. And that is pretty much what kept me going because he did it for me. He did it for my mum. He did it for me to have a better education and better life. So if he can go through three years of difficult journey to the UK with nothing but just making his way here, you know, hard work, how could I just easily give up when I have every opportunity here open to me? Um, so, yeah, that was pretty much what kept me going. Um, and it is the reason, uh, he was the reason why I even had this, you know, amazing school, amazing opportunities. So I couldn't just give up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what kept me going. Um, Shukriya, at, at one point, I think in our previous conversation, you mentioned that your dad walked to the UK? Yeah, so like any other, you know, story you hear about a refugee um, and asylum seekers, um, that is pretty much what my dad's story is about. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he went to Iran, uh, which is a lot of uh, where a lot of Hazara refugees from Afghanistan go to, to... Um, you know, financially fund their families back home. So he went mm -hmm. there and, yeah, he didn't really consult uh, my, you know, his family that he was actually making his way to the UK. So, um, yeah. yeah, he worked there for, you know, in construction sites um, for, you know, bare minimum. Uh, 
Europe. He worked there, I think, about four months. And, um, yeah, he then went over the border to Turkey and then from there to Greece and Italy. And then, yeah, finally to the UK. So everywhere he went and had a stop, um, he would work to get the money. And, yeah, that's that took him three years. Wow. Wow. And at some point in our conversation, you mentioned a book. Yes, that, that book. Mm -hmm. Yes, go on. Uh, it's called uh, There Are Crocodiles in the Sea, or In the Sea There Are Crocodiles. Um, I keep on getting that mixed up. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a story of Hazara refugee based on real um, events and narrated by um, Fabier. I forgot her surname. But yeah, um, that is the book that everyone I think should check out, whoever is listening right now. Uh, that will mm -hmm. give you a much detailed picture of my dad's journey. Um, so yeah. Shukriya, since you mentioned that book um, a couple of weeks ago, I've had the opportunity to go and find it and I've been reading it. So just wanted to tell you that yes, the book is called um, there are crocodiles in the sea. No, in the sea there are crocodiles. I'm getting it mixed up too. Um, and it is an amazing story. Uh, it's a recollection of, of a boy's experiences while he tried to make his way um, to get out of Afghanistan the entire journey. And I haven't completed it, but just in the first couple of pages, you get a very good sense of a different world, a different experience, things that we only things that we believe we only see in movies mm. and maybe that existed hundreds of years ago. Things that include thing, um, slavery, child labor, all of those things that we think are a thing of the past and how it's very much present today. So thank you for sharing um, the title of that book. And the more I read it, um, the more I am moved and touched. So if, uh, if you wanna check out what, what it's like um, I'm saying this for the listeners, if you do want to check out what it's like, um, but, um, if you want an insight into the experiences of immigrants and um, illegal immigrants especially, um, that might be a great book to read, but please be prepared to be um, emotionally moved. You were saying something, Shukriya. Yeah, so I was just going to say that I was actually lucky to uh, have uh, watched it as a play in Oxford Playhouse uh, last month uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. I had read the book um, but it was a little bit different to actually you know not a little bit actually very different to seeing it kind of being uh, played out in on a stage right in front of you so mm -hmm. uh, yeah I was with a couple of uh, um, Afghan friends and uh, yeah they every single one of them could relate because they come from similar backgrounds as me and yeah, mm -hmm. we were all pretty much in tears throughout the whole show. Uh, it felt so, so strange and it really made everything a lot more real, if that makes sense, even though my dad, someone who's so close to me, has been through this, but I only know it through his own sort of uh, storytelling as well, if that makes sense. But seeing it really happen on a stage right in front of me, that was really, really different. It added a different layer of, you know, understanding, at least to me. Yes, most definitely. The more I read the book, the more moved I am. And I just want to say to your dad, 
So if you, if you, but the next time you talk to him, please pass on my message and tell him he has my standing ovation and salute for the kinds of things that he had to go through and his dedication towards his wife and his daughter. Um, that is at a very, very different level. So please, please, please do convey that to your dad for me, please. Yes, I will definitely pass it to him. Um, yeah, tonight he was asking about this show and I told him. Uh, unfortunately, he cannot listen right now, but he is uh, in a family friend's birthday party. So I'm missing nice. out on that, but my parents are there. <laughs> Lovely. Shukriya, please do not mute yourself. We are just going to go into an advert break. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for joining a Teacher's Talk Radio. You're listening to The Late Show. And I am joined by Shukriya Razai, who is a student at the London School of Economics. Um, she is from Afghanistan and she made her way to the UK 10 years ago. And we are having a conversation about life in schools, life in the UK, the changes in culture, the cultural shock, and most importantly, what we as teachers can do to make the new Afghan students coming into our classrooms feel more welcome. So when we come back from our break, we will have a conversation about that. Please stay with us. All right, the adverts are being very, very stubborn and are refusing to play, so I'll just have to read them out. One of the sponsors of the show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you. Read, Write, Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust, English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programs and to receive support from your OUP expert, local educational consultant, please visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Another sponsor to the show is History Hotline Podcast, the History Hotline is the hottest line for all things Black history and beyond, a space to have honest conversations about Black history and how it impacts the world we live in. The History Hotline podcast explores some of the facets of Black history ignored by the mainstream, your teachers and textbooks. Check out the podcast by following the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. And finally, Another sponsor is called the Mel CPT. If you struggle with people pleasing and find it a constant battle to manage different and difficult personalities, then why not challenge and empower your team through the Mel CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course. Alternatively, gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and Emotionally Intelligent Leader course. All of the Mel CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. And to find out more, please go to malcpd.com. And that is it for the adverts. Thank you, Shakriya. Hopefully you're still on the line. Yes, yeah. Brilliant. Shakriya, what do you think the teachers or schools could have done better to make you feel more welcome? Um. I suppose um, they could have really sat me down and give me some sort of uh, introduction to the school. Um, right. Rather than just, like, you know. Sorry. Like an, sorry, like an orientation, you mean? 
Yeah, so I actually didn't have any of that. So as soon as I was registered within the school, I was given a uniform. And then, um, yeah, that was all I can remember, really. And yeah, I just was pretty much put into a classroom. I had no idea that was, I was, I was supposed to leave that tutor group and go to my first lesson. So everyone else was putting their coats on, taking their bags and getting ready to leave. And I was just sat there wondering, I just came into the class 10 minutes ago, what's happening? So, um, yeah, none of that sort of introduction uh, was given to me. Uh, that would have been lovely to know what I was going to find myself in. Um, mm -hmm. And then also really explaining what GCSEs are because I had no idea. I pretty much chose at random and what sounded like something interesting to me. Okay. And, yeah, so really just not just you know, feeling welcome really in school, but at least knowing what I'm going to get myself into. There, there, There's a lot that they could have done. But to begin with, this would have helped a lot in my own understanding at least. Absolutely. Just being being told what are the subjects, why, how or what, they're, why they're important. Mm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. In hindsight, do you feel like if you had received an orientation you would have probably chosen a different career path or a subject i suppose maybe but at the end of the day i still managed to you know follow the path that i am passionate about and interested in so maybe that might have changed but again um I, now that i look back you know this has been 10 years now that I look back, I don't think my GCSEs, what GCSEs I did, had a huge impact on where I am now. Although it did, obviously. But in terms of my own interest and what courses I then went on to do at university, I think that was mm. more to do with my own interest outside school, uh, especially through my dad, who was very much interested mm -hmm. in politics and really, um, you know, sparked that interest in me to pursue a career that promoted and you know, the basic rights of individuals that are unheard mm -hmm. about in Afghanistan. So in terms of that, maybe um, it didn't have a huge impact on me, but at the end of the day, you know, it still is a very much, um, you know, big thing for me. Let's say if I chose really um, difficult subjects, for example, the ones that I usually find difficult, which are the sciences, if I chose mm -hmm. them, well, I'd had to do them. Uh, everyone had to. But, you know, it could really change the the way the p perspective of a student in, in the school, like they, they don't enjoy it. So in, in a sense, yeah, it was definitely something that I, I should have been, you know, informed more about. But now that I yeah. look back, it didn't have much impact. Yeah. And that's one of the things as a student that I've felt to uh, Shakriya. Um, I don't think my grades had a, had a huge impact on what it is that I wanted to do with my life. And I think somewhere down the line, we tend to forget, as students, as teachers, as parents, that at the end of the day, a grade is just a grade, and that's not really going to stop you from doing the things that you really want to do in life. I mean, they're mm -hmm. definitely important, and, they're, and as teachers, we probably shouldn't say that they're not, mm -hmm. but um, they're definitely not the be it and end it and all of everything. Um, how involved were your parents in your school life? Uh, actually, uh, not at all. They uh, barely had any idea 
themselves about you know the UK they were really just my dad's English is you know she, he only speaks broken English my mum cannot speak English at all although she's tried very hard but she's at that age where she just cannot remember whatever she yeah. is so um in terms of my dad he he was pretty much working all the time so he had barely any idea himself um, as much as he tried but yeah I in terms of academic support nothing uh, but in terms of you know pastoral care they were really there for me and really really did keep me going and motivate me so yeah in terms of how involved they were um I could tell you a story about how this one time I had a dentist appointment. He was, you know, my dad was coming to pick me up at the reception. And, um, yeah, he came in a bit early. Um, he told the receptionist that only my name. He had no idea what year group I was in, which house I was in. Um, as I said, we had house system within our school. And, yeah, the receptionist had a difficult time finding which lesson I was in so that they could send someone to get me and um, that's how right. involved parents were okay right well hopefully things have changed in the educational system now and we are definitely more able at uh, locating students but thank you for pointing that out so it's not just about what happens inside the classroom but it's also about the entire organization coming forward and making way and you know being able to adjust their systems to suit parents and students of all um, nationalities and all languages. Mm -hmm. Right, you are a human rights student and you're studying human rights and politics. So what, is it purely your experience that led you towards this or was there another trigger? I mean, yeah, sort of is, uh, it felt natural to me to kind of go in that, uh, in this direction of studying human rights and wanting to work for, let's say, you know, humanitarian agencies and uh, human rights NGOs and all that sort of um, things. It was very much natural. And um, yeah, I suppose my background in my journey is something that had a huge uh, impact on this. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, also my dad, who really, as I said, uh, was a figure that really, you know, ignited my passion for this sort of, um, you know, topics. Mm. You have also started a non-profit organization called Uniarc. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we launched charity called uh, Uniarc earlier this year in April. And yeah, mm -hmm. it really just started off as a couple of, you know, friends that we, you know, we were really passionate about the same things. We wanted to kind of put our power and together and do something about it. So um, yeah, we were just thinking about how we could get more students from persecuted backgrounds like ourselves to, you know, uh, attend higher education um, institutions, especially in the West, uh, especially in the UK. So, um, yeah, so we started thinking that, you know, we could do this on a part-time basis, each of us, get more friends uh, involved to volunteer for us and provide sort of that one-to-one -one free mentoring with, you know, applications uh, from the very beginning of the admission process to the very end because we've all, all been through this process ourselves and we would, I suppose, consider ourselves somewhat uh, knowledgeable in this case 
So we really yeah. did to really just uh, help students really make that competitive application, prepare for interviews and entrance exams and whatnot. So yeah, uh, we've just launched them and yeah, we really would like to take on students from all sorts of backgrounds, especially disadvantaged, but uh, especially more if you're from persecuted backgrounds. So yeah. So um, just to, just for some clarity, are you are you doing application support in terms of just the application process, or are you providing test services, or what does it involve? Uh, so it's more about mentoring through the admission process. So if they don't know what the uh, you know UK education system is like, how do you go on you know uh, searching for you know the right course for you? How do you apply? What is you know person statement? So we provide feedback on that, help them draft many times, and until they are happy with it. And, uh, yeah, we also do interview practice and do you know mock in entrance exams, especially for Oxbridge students. Um, so yeah, all that sort of stuff. Lovely. I, I do you find this quite time consuming and demanding because it sounds like a lot of work. It definitely is. Um, so since finishing uh, my dissertation for my master's, I have been off so nearly two months now, also seeking mm -hmm. jobs and stuff. Um, in right. the meantime, I've been very much busy with this. I am pretty much on it all the time, not even as a part-time thing. So yeah, it very much is time-consuming, but we are, we are kind of um, sharing that uh, burden, if you like. <laughs> Uh, amongst ourselves so I do monitor the emails um, which we get a lot from students from Afghanistan especially with what happened in August so we have yep. lots of students coming through and it's very sad that a lot of them we have to turn down because they just don't have the right English certificates you know which is essential to get into the UK so the ones that have been able to sit the exams before the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban you know we've been able to help them uh, put the application and stuff, but yeah. Okay. Um, and since yeah. you since you mentioned it, uh, in Afghanistan, the new academic year has begun without girls and without female teachers. Do you see any hope for them? At this moment in time, not really. No, honestly, um, because the Taliban they say they have changed and a lot of people unfortunately are falling for this uh you know narrative but yeah. they have been able to get away with whatever they have done so far and it's been now months that the girls have not been able to return and um, their excuse is that apparently they don't have the right uh you know classrooms and facilities for them to be able to continue but mm. to that i say you know afghanistan was already the classes were already segregated based on um, mm, you know, genders yeah so how on earth are you saying that they don't have that they can't continue that because they need to organize themselves so that's mm. that's basically ridiculous and um so yeah i don't really think there is any hope but if there is any and that's to do with the international community and they seem to be so far doing nothing really mm. As someone who's lived through through Afghanistan, what's the biggest misconception that we have about the country? I mean, 
there's a lot I could go um, on about. But go for uh, it. One is that um, the everyone calls us Afghans, and and that word Afghan is very much uh, I, I would say controversial in a sense because okay. Afghanistan is very much uh, made up of uh, my, you know ethnic groups. And no one mm -hmm. ethnic group actually is the majority. So okay. even, if they, even if one does claim to be uh, one and wants to dominate, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. So uh, the word Afghan means Pashtun. So if that's one of the ethnic groups, it's calling Af uh, all Afghans as Afghan actually is something that you should be careful about <laughs> in the right. future. So, um, I mean, sometimes if someone asks me, are you Afghan? If I have, you know, depending on the situation, I kind of go on about why I'm not. But at the same time, you know, I kind of just see the situation and explain if I find Yeah, like, like, just shape. if I might just, um, just interrupt there. Um, you mentioned that Afghan is probably not the right word. So what's the alternative? Because in most countries, you are called, you know, it, it's similar to the nashna, the nation, the name of the country, isn't it? Yeah. So what's the uh, alternative? The alternative uh, from my own ethnic group that I'm speaking uh, on behalf of, I suppose, uh, the Hazaras, we call ourselves Afghanistani. So just like a Pakistani, you call them yeah. Pakistani. So the same way Afghanistani rather than Afghan. So, um, yeah, that's perhaps one way you could get around it. But at the same time, we have a problem with the entire name, Afghanistan. So it's like the land of Pashtuns, which is um, not correct. Not true. Yeah. Right. All right. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. What else? What else? Are, do, what other misconceptions do we have? Uh, the misconceptions, I suppose, is that uh, most Afghans support the Taliban or pr prefer them over the okay. government that we had. That is okay. definitely, I mean, there, in academia, um, there has been some, you know, journals publishing saying how much the Taliban are winning legitimacy and winning over the hearts of Afghans, in this case, Afghans mm -hmm. in quotation marks. Um, but so that is definitely a misconception, although um, some people might have their preference and might be supporters of the Taliban, but this is 100.4, that is not mm. the majority. And especially when the women are the majority and they don't want the Taliban. And right. that's already the majority. So, yeah, that's another, mis I suppose, not misconception, but something that's kind of accepted. All right. Interesting. Um, as teachers of primary and secondary schools, we like to believe that we have a reasonable influence, you know, in shaping our students and whatever. So what are some things that you think we are doing well? And what are some things that you think we need to do more? Um, teachers are, you know, second parents, really. So uh, when it comes to the you know bringing up children they have a huge influence on how the children you know um grow up and become who they become so just like how kate clanchy had a huge impact on my life and her work as well how yeah. i looked up to her work and went to her workshops 
that really had, as I said, was something that changed my life completely. So everything the teachers are doing, they are doing great. And we are all thankful uh, to have them, uh, to have teachers. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know <laughs> what I could say that you could improve on, but I'm definitely, you know, all, every student out there, uh, we have much respect for teachers. Oh, thank you so much, Shakriya. That's definitely lovely to hear. What are some things that you think we, as the ordinary world population, should really be educated on? I mean, you are, you are a human rights student, so I'm asking you from that perspective. What, what are some things that you think we should be aware of? I suppose um, uh, about, well, in, if I look at the length that you just asked me, you know, as a human rights student, um, perhaps everything to do with, you know, the current uh, affairs around the world and also climate change, especially the things that are actually affecting us all. So mm -hmm. um, that's something teachers could, uh, you know, teach children more about but in terms mm. of let's say as an example that I actually immediately came to my mind is for example teaching um, an English uh, a novel basically in uh, okay. English lesson for example one that I studied in A-level which was yeah. uh, Khalid Hussein's book The Kite Runner right. my teacher at the time obviously is someone who is from Afghanistan and understands um, you know has experience of it basically. Yeah. I thought my teachers weren't really much aware of the context. Mm -hmm. uh, they, although they understood obviously that Afghanistan is a multi-ethnic uh, nation, so yeah. that is m one of the themes within the book. But nothing was really much said more outside that just that book, whatever it said in it. So mm. I think there could have been a lot more done there and at least, you know, they could have made the students go out and research that um, rather than take that book and just see it as that and nothing outside those. So um, there's a lot that teachers can do, I suppose, in that sense. But So yeah. you're saying that um, when we get an opportunity to discuss a book, let's not yeah. just talk about the story and do a comprehension, Let's do more about learning about the circumstances it was written in. Go in, in depth, you mean? Yes, so the context and, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes, what, yeah, what prompted the author, what life was like in those times. So make it more about a complete picture and not just the content, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's much better how you put it. All right, that, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Definitely. And, and um, I know for, I can only speak for my school and I know that where I am teaching at the moment, um, that's what we're doing. We just uh, finished and this is in primary school. Uh, I teach year five and we've just um, finished reading a book called Coming to England um, by Floella Benjamin. So she's also uh, this book is very much about how she arrived in the UK as an immigrant. And uh, we've spoken about the context, about what life is like. We did a comparison about what life was like in her place, which is Trinidad, and the whole culture shift and the context that the um, the school in Trinidad was based in. So we've gone uh, a lot in depth. 
So it's definitely happening. I'm just not sure how much it's happening across um, all of the all of the schools and in, in every country. So thank you. <laughs> right, and finally, before we go, apart from donations, which I know Uniork is accepting, and it's a very very noble cause that you're accepting for. What can we as teachers do to help Uniork? How can I contribute? Um, so I'm, I suppose all the listeners would be teachers. Um, so if you are a teacher, especially a sixth form teacher, or your school has a sixth form, I suppose one way is to just spread the word about Uniork because we are still young and we haven't really get the word out there. Um, so yeah, and if you're and if your teacher students are thinking of applying to university then please do send them to us. We have a great team of um, students, volunteers, uh, and recent graduates who honestly would go a lot above and beyond just to help them uh, get to the university they want, especially those interested in the sciences, as we have lots of students from Oxbridge, engineers, you know, biologists, physicists, mathematicians, and much more. So, yeah. If you are a teacher and have a sixth form, please, please do spread, uh, spread the word about Uniarc. Check our website, social media. We are everywhere. You can find us. Just type in Uniarc. And yeah, there's so much we can offer. There's a lot of benefit from our service that your students can um, benefit from. So that's one thing that teachers do, uh, which is help you know students with their applications. But we can help you with that burden a little bit. Uh, send send them over to us. Oh, that's, that's a wonderful request there, Shakriya. Um, I have a question for you. Uh, when you say send them over to us, do you accept all students regardless of any any barriers or is there a specific type of category that you're targeting? Um, so in our first year, since we are you know, just starting, we thought it would be great to actually be open to all sorts of uh, students from any background really. Uh, but we would, let's say, if we get lots of students, obviously, within our capacity, we will prioritize students from disadvantaged backgrounds. So um, at this moment in time, I would like to open to everyone. Um, so, yeah, any any students who want, want to get into really good universities? All right. That sounds amazing. Um, I've looked at your website and I saw that most of the people who have volunteered for this program are extremely well-placed academics uh, and um, their credentials are quite impressive. So well done to you for that, for being able to recruit such a diverse and um, highly qualified team of professionals. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I'm really <laughs> So uh, once you make friend and open up, it just opens up so much more connections. So uh, yeah, a lot, lots of friends from Cambridge, Oxford, and yeah. So I'm really lucky to have such a great team of uh, volunteers. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Now you are a poet. Is there a poem that you would like to share with us? Uh, <laughs> I suppose I could if I could quickly pull it up. Um, I mean, um, how much do you know about my poetry, sort of? Uh, although I have not, not a lot, but I'm very, not a lot. But don't worry about it. I am sure I will be blown away. Yeah. 
So a lot of my poems actually have been written back in school and since unfortunately I haven't really written the same amount and the ones that I have right. written they need a lot more work on it on them so I will not be unfortunately sharing any of my recent ones but from okay school days that you know my poems We'd love are, to know what the we'd love to know what the young Shukriya the younger Shukriya sorry um sounded like go yes. for it We'll quickly pull it up, sorry, yeah. Um, sure, no problem. Um, Those of you who are still listening, we are on, in conversation with Shukriya Rizai and um, we're having a conversation, we have been having a conversation about how life in Afghanistan as a student was different to her experiences in the UK. Shukriya is at the moment a student at the London School of Economics and very, very soon she will be sharing a poem with us. Um, I have a poem up and um, I'm not the best reciters of poems, especially not the ones in English. Um, but if, you know, in our own tradition, we have this very special way of reciting poems. So, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't compare, but I'll do my best. Um, this poem is um, called A Glass of Tea and it's kind of just, uh, you know, about my journey to the UK. All right. Um, so, yeah, it starts as Last year I held a glass of tea to the light. This year I swirl like a tea leaf in the streets of Oxford. Last year I stared into navy blue sky. This year I am roaming under colourless clouds. Migration drove me down this bumpy road where I fell and smelt the soil where I arose and sensed the cloud. Now I'm a bird flying in the breeze, lost over the alien earth. Don't stop and ask me questions. Look into my eyes and feel my heart. It's bruised, aching and sore. I sit helplessly in an injured nest, not knowing how to fix it. And my heart, I'd say, is displaced, struggling to find its place. Wow. Shukriya. That was amazing. <laughs> that really, really was amazing. The first two lines completely blew me away. I'm going to make a bit of a request here, Shukriya. Would you be able to send that poem over to me in print? In print? Uh, yes. And you can, you, can send, you, can, you can send it to me by email. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, by email, yeah, yeah, sure. Right now, you no. mean, or? Uh, no, no, after the show, obviously, not in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do you have another one, or is that it? Um, I can, yeah, I do have some more. Do you have the one that won you the, the, the prize, by any chance? Uh, well, which prize are we talking about? Oh, so the there's one, more than one. I mean... Yeah, uh, not, I mean, more than one in terms of, uh, you know, winning sort of competition. But prizes, uh, I'd say there wasn't actually one, there was a couple. So it was a collection rather than... Oh, you, you've, you've been far too modest. So maybe another one, anyone, which the one that you like? Uh, the one that I like, um, I suppose, the one I like about uh, is the one about my Hazara people, but I feel like that's been so overread and overshared everywhere. 
that I'd like to. Right. I'll, I'll let you. Do, I'll let you pick which one you want to read. Um, what I like about. Sorry. Yes. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Um, this one I'm going to share. It's literally just called "I Want a Poem," so it's pretty much right. using uh, food to describe what type of poem I want. And I use some words that might that, that are from my own language, so readers may not be able to. Um, no problems. But it's only a few words, and I can. Uh, and I can translate at the end. Yes. At the end. So yeah, it's called "I Want a Poem." I want a poem with the texture of a colander on the pastry, a verse of pastry so rich it leaves gleam on your fingertips. A poem that stings like the splash of boiling oil as you drop the pastry in. A poem that sits on a silver plate with nuts and chocolates served up to guests who sit cross-legged on the toshak. A poem as vibrant as our saffron tea served up at Eid. Let your poetry texture the blank paper like a, like a prison splitting light. Don't live without seeing all the colours. Wow. <laughs> Shukriya, you are very, very talented and resilient. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor having you on the show. And your story is something that I definitely want to share with my students, just to be able to promote and show them that all of the things that they think are impossible at the moment are just them them stopping themselves in their paths. Um, you are a testimony for that, and and your kindness is is blowing me away every single day, because I've been following your work online, and it is it it, it it's it takes a great great heart to be able to extend the kind of support that you are extending to other students, just because you've gone through a lot and you just want to make it easier for other people. So congratulations and thank you for being so inspiring. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. No problem. Any final things you would like the listeners to know about York, about yourself, anything that you would like to see more of in the world? Anything um, at all? About York, honestly, just I would love for every single um, teacher uh, or non, not teacher listening to us right now to spread the word about UniArc, check our website and just, I don't know, if you're on Twitter, just tweet and tag us and yeah, I would love for students, for your students to come to us and uh, we'd love to have them and yeah, offer the services we have. So at this moment in time, I'd really just like to promote UniArc. So yeah, if anyone, please, please, um, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to know more about Shakriya and her movement, please follow her on Twitter. I will be sharing a link on the Teachers Talk radio site and then uh, you will be able to get more information from there. Shakriya, thank you so much for giving up your Friday evening. Thank you, honestly. It's been a pleasure. I missed out on a birthday party, but I've had so much fun here. Well, I hope that your parents will be able to save you some cake. They will, hopefully, yes.
<laughs> thank you so much. And to everyone else who's been listening, thank you very, very much um, for listening to Teachers Talk Radio. And you are listening to The Late Show. For those of you who are beginning your half-term holidays, have a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, you've definitely earned it. Thank you so much, and I will see you shortly. Um, well, not shortly, in a week or two. Till then, take care, stay safe. Bye-bye.